The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Let's go! Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Thursday, April 27th, 2023. Listeners, please welcome fan favorite crossover superstar, Rodrigo Amor. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is so wonderful to have you. Listen, we go back a moment. Like, we have been keeping in touch, I think, ever since you started your work in adults. Yes, which, yeah, definitely at least two years ago. Yes. And a different profile as well on Twitter, but, you know. Yes, sadly, I lost that one, but I came back even stronger, so. You did. Uh, But, yes, I was like, when we set this up, I was like racking my brain. I was like, I think I chatted with him very early on into your career. And I'm super glad that we're finally getting the chance to make this happen. Your career skyrocketed, my friend. Like, good grief. We have a lot to talk about. So, um, yes, so I'm just, I'm glad you're here. Um, everything is okay, clearly? Yes, everything is going great. It's, uh, the only thing that's not okay is that too many things are going, and I do not have enough time. I keep just complaining about not having enough time. There you go. All right. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just really glad to have you here so that we can chat about this fantastic career that you have developed for yourself in the adult industry. So before we jump into any and all of that, I typically like to start off these interviews by getting some unique stats out the way. So what's your height and weight? 5'7", 170 pounds. What's your ethnic background? Cuban, so Latino, Hispanic. What's your zodiac sign? Scorpio. And how old are you? 33. Let's get to know a little bit about the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? Uh, originally from Cuba. Okay, so you were born in Cuba. Oh, yeah. I, w- I was born in Cuba, Santa Clara, Cuba. Um, That's what's up. Okay, so I have to ask, you know, when you hear Cuba, like we all imagine stuff, you know, be- based off of just the regime there. Were you there for long? What was life like for you growing up in Cuba? I was there essentially my I guess the years from until I was from until the moment from the, mo- the moment I was born until the time I was 11 and and change um so I essentially grew up there I learned the language life was fine uh but even from a, even from a young age it felt very indoctrinating mm-hmm. there was only two channels on the TV and the channels essentially had like pre-programmed scheduled things mostly organized by the government, only a half an hour of cartoons a day. Um, there's also quotas for the people that don't have enough money to go out and buy anything they want. Uh, there's quotas, so you go to a 
guess like a, a supermarket, if you can even call it that, but it's really just a little corner store where people pick up um, their daily bread and a couple other things that essentially is rationed out to people throughout the country, and they keep track of it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like a little bit of how Cuba was when I was young. And I'm trying to do the math in my brain. You were there when Fidel was alive. Um, I was born in 1989 and um, came here in 2001. Okay. All right. Okay, so you were there when Fidel had his hands gripping Cuba. Yes. Uh, I, I never got close to him, but I know my father did because my father was a doctor. And they would go to these uh, emergency uh, Red Cross camps where... Whenever Fidel would do essentially a a meeting, a gathering of the masses, that he would essentially spew out something that he would say. Uh, they would have like a lot of doctors there, essentially for heat heat exhaustion to help people, so they could stay there. But they wanted everyone to go, even if it was going to be unbearable. Um, so yeah, very okay. interesting. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, living under his regime. I mean, good grief. I. I you know, we can only imagine here in the United States what that could have been like. So at 11, you make your journey from Cuba to the United States. Can you explain to the listeners a little bit about how that happened? Were you able to leave or did, you know, did you have to find other means to leave Cuba? Um, we were able to leave because I think a couple years before, one of my mother's friends, my mother who was a world history teacher, it's like just a teacher in high school, uh, she had a friend of hers that had came to the U.S., that had come to the U.S., and uh, that he had sent in essentially, he had put her name under a lottery ticket type system to give you immigrant status to the U.S., and he put her name in it because they were friends, and she did not she did not even know. And then a couple years later, I think at the time I was like nine and a half, I think that's when she got the, essentially she got contacted by the government that she had been selected to go to the U.S. So it's essentially like winning a lottery. But what you win is a visa to be able to come to the U.S. Oh, okay. All right. So let's talk about this. I mean, this is basically a fish-out-of-water type of story because... You know, you've lived your life in Cuba for 11 years. You arrive in the U.S. as a tween. What was yep. that experience like for you? Was it was it a little bit of a shell shock? Was it easy to adapt? It was extremely easy to adapt because I never felt right being in Cuba. I don't know. If my I, I've never wanted to feel very controlled or isolated. Like, I can't do what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. in, the, in the way life and from a young age I understood that Cuba was not the place so the moment I was out and I was in the US uh, where I spent like maybe I think four or five months in Miami first before moving to Kentucky um, that just felt quite it was felt very normal but Kentucky Kentucky was a bit of a shell shock <laughs> I was just about to say that because you go from Miami which you know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I live in Miami, so it is a little bit of a Cuban haven. You know, there there is an immensely large Cuban population here. And then you go to Kentucky, which is not. <laughs> it's not Miami. 
how was that? What was that shell shock like? <laughs> well, that was shocking in the sense that I remember that it's been the only time that I got somewhere and I cried Aww. as a kid. I was like, wow, this sucks. I wanted to go back to Miami. Um, so, yeah, so I, but I was still 11 at the time. But in, in hindsight, and I think back at it all the time, and I was actually very conscious of this after like, even a couple of years of being in Kentucky. It was good that I went there because in Miami would have taken me really a lot longer to learn English. But in Kentucky, it took me like a year. Oh, okay. No, that is true. You were, in essence, forced to learn English because, I mean, right. listen, I'll be honest. I don't really know what the the breakdown of the diversity in Kentucky is, but I would assume it does not have as large of a Latino population as Miami does. Yeah, it does not, except in Louisville, Kentucky, which was where we moved. And actually, right, of, right around the time that we moved, um, the government had actually recently decided to start sending Cuban refugees or people that were seeking asylum from Cuba uh, in the U.S. Instead of, like, putting them in Miami, they were being sent to places like Louisville, Kentucky. So within three years of us being in Louisville, Kentucky, the, the Cuban population kind of exploded. So Louisville, Kentucky has a lot of Cubans, actually. Oh, okay. That is interesting. That, that is incredibly fascinating to know. Yeah. Very interesting. So yeah, 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 totally. All right. Okay, so um, as now, a, you know, a, a teen growing up in the U.S., when did you first start realizing that you were different? When did you first start realizing your sexuality? I started, I think I knew it from the beginning, in a sense, just because I've always been curious about everything. I'm still curious about everything. I'm trying to find things that I don't know or haven't done within the bounds of the things that I want to do. Um, but I think I've, I always knew. It, it goes back to that same thing about not wanting to feel restricted, wanting to try everything. Mm-hmm. So I think I always knew, even from like the, the age of like at least 14, 15, I already figured that much. When did you start exploring your sexuality? Uh, sometime in middle school, uh, around 13, 14. But I didn't really become like sexually, sexually like active, 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 like like in a decent like, to a decent extent, like until I was almost sixteen. It was essentially teenagers being teenagers. Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. Yeah, that that is what teenagers do. Yes. Okay. So before we get into like the porn stuff and that sort of thing, but uh, but I mean, you know, it's it's porn adjacent in the sense the way that I'm going to ask the question because you know there are people, there are your fans that see you do a little bit of everything in the industry, and they might be curious to know, if they don't know it already, what your personal sexuality is. How would you define your sexuality? I define my sexuality as a strange combination of bi, heteroflexible, and I guess pansexual. Um, I'm not sure uh, if any listeners know exactly what each one is, but being bisexual means you like both both genders, essentially, male and female, but there's differences between them because most people think bisexual, you're supposed to like everything in the middle, down the middle, and I haven't really found any bisexual person that does. They all have a preference one side or another. So heteroflexible is essentially where you have a, a bit more preference uh, towards, uh, I guess, if you're a man, towards women, and homoflexible will be if, you, if, as a man, you have more preference towards men. So it's just essentially... Um, 
uh, essentially which one dominates the other, I guess, which one do you, you do more frequent or you prefer, or you're linked towards to more frequent. So I guess heteroflexible by, uh, by and uh, pansexual, because I mean, I really like people, non-binary people, so I, I kind of like everybody. As long as you're attractive and you're a cool person and you, and you like tickle my brain, then that's pretty much it. What was Rodrigo more like growing up? What were you like? What was uh, your personality like? Um, my personality is essentially, I was a smarty pants, I guess. I was, I was that guy in school where he just knew everything and got all the good grades, didn't have to study. Uh, so I was just pretty chill for the most part, and essentially I played, uh, I spent a lot of my time playing beater games or trading card games or um, in the chess team, uh, wrestling team. I tried a lot of different things. Uh, I, like looking back at it, I definitely have like ADHD. It's like all over the place, but at least with studies, I was able to do it easily, and then it gave me time to essentially uh, spend time with my friends, uh, the chess club was awesome, um, and uh, wrestling was great. I did a little, a little bit of martial arts. So as you can tell, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. Essentially, trying to keep myself as uh, as busy as I pop, as I possibly could, and not bored. What was going on in your life prior to entering the adult industry? Prior to entering the adult industry, I had gone through a big breakup that was, I, was actually the only time a relationship has been ended not from my side but from the other side so that was that was interesting and um and right after that i spent like half a year not dating anyone essentially and then i started dating someone who is a performer in the industry um and uh, they began working uh, when we started dating in the industry, like low-key, but not a lot because COVID was about to happen, so they had to take a little bit of a break. Um, but then I, once uh, COVID began, I started working with them by posting videos online. So we started doing, posting on Pornhub and uh, uh, Reddit, RedGifts, uh, and Twitter, and marketing. And that's kind of like how we got started. So that was maybe about three years ago now. All right. So you've been in the industry for about three years in total. Yeah, roughly, yeah. Three years solidly, yes. Okay, awesome. Very cool, very cool. Okay, so prior to all of that happening, had porn ever crossed your mind as something that you wanted to try or do or experience? Yes, because I felt like I've, I had never actually had, like, bad sexual experiences. I felt like I was naturally gifted. All but right. But not, like, not in the sense of, like, oh, I just know how to do everything. It's just, like, it comes easy to me and I enjoy sex as a whole. So it was very easy for me to, like, explore different sexual things and just, it just felt natural to essentially do sexual stuff. And um, a lot of the people that I, that I ended up sleeping with throughout the years, especially throughout my 20s, they always talked about, they always asked me if I did porn. And I never, and I always wondered why. Was it because of, because of like, performance in the bedroom? Or was it my dick size or anything? But I'd never really thought about it, but I was always asked about it. Is that my sense? I could I, I was asked about it by at least like ten different people if I All did right. porn. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were asked, you had a little bit of a confidence. I like it. Very nice. Okay, so uh, the opportunity came up. Can you go into a little bit more? I know that you kind of mentioned it, but can you break it down just a little bit, like how exactly 
you got into it? Was it really just you were dating someone and they were in it, so you were like, okay, I guess I can be in it too. Was it really just that simple in your mind? It wasn't that simple in my mind because uh, I had already considered the possibility of doing it because I had already been asked about it so many times in my life. So I had already thought about it. And I guess growing up, I also watched a decent amount of porn. And I'm a bit like OCD, ADHD, but so whenever I would watch porn, I would actually care about who the people were, uh, try to see what their work was. And I actually kind of knew, like, people in the industry and actually because I have really great memory. So I would remember, like, uh, faces very well and, and names as well. Um, so I was already kind of um, invested, in a sense, in the industry from the point of view of, like, somebody that watches it and actually pays attention to the people in the industry and their lives from, like, a social point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, and, and while I was doing that, especially through my 20s, um, I decided to stop going to school to become a nurse. Uh, ultimately, I was trying to become a doctor, but I decided to stop doing that and started doing YouTube full-time before it was popular. And I did that for about five years. And everything that I learned from doing YouTube, social media, SEO, it's, uh, you know, search engine optimization, um, how advertisement works, uh, just social media marketing in general, I kind of like loosely created a business plan in my head and I started migrating myself, uh, my porn, the way that I had done my YouTube stuff. And that helped me uh, by learning all the editing skills, like at least any, all the basic necessary skills to be able to be a, a full content creator from the get-go. That is incredibly fascinating. I mean, props to you for doing the work ahead of time. I'll be honest, I feel like a lot of performers out there have not done any of that type of work in regards to you know, preparation for what they're trying to do in the industry. But, yeah, major props to you, man. That was incredible thinking on your part in in planning and preparation, you know, before your industry takeover. Yes, I I always told my father that I knew YouTube or things like YouTube were going to be probably the job of the future. Because I was always very interested in, in new technologies and anything new, really, just advancement in general. So I'm always ahead of everything that's happening. I'm always kind of like watching futuristic videos or like future technologies or like movements in how politics work or like um, what apps will become popular. So I usually make accounts in different apps or try to learn the apps or new tools before everybody else does, like at least a couple of years. So I'm always kind of ready for the next thing. That's kind of what I try to do. And I love uh, yeah. That. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be using it for porn, but ultimately that's what I did. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was a great thing to, to learn, and clearly you are using it, you know, now to the fullest. Let's talk about your name in the industry. How did you come up with your performer name? So my performer name was something that actually my ex, the, the person that I dated, uh, came up with. I essentially gave them a rough idea of how, how I wanted the name to sound. And I wanted specifically to, ha- to include R's, and it sounds very Hispanic, because I want to be able to roll my tongue. So she kind of took it and then told me the name that she came up with. I think she threw a couple names out, but this is the one that I liked the most. Rodrigo Amor. Yes, fantastic. It's perfect. Yeah, lots of R's in there. Lots of R's, lots of tongue rolling. Yep. Yes. You even make the gringos, you know, try to roll <laughs> their tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> I like it. 
Fantastic. Okay, so what do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? What I enjoy the most is the acting part. And it's because it's so cheesy a lot of the time. Uh, and I guess because it's, it's kind of like um, it's episodic. It's like a sitcom, and every episode is different. So you don't know what you're going to get to play. You don't know what the scenario is going to be. And uh, that's what makes it kind of exciting. It's essentially you going into an acting role that's not too serious. It's, it's a, kind of like doing an SNL skit a lot of the time. And they take like six hours to do, usually six, seven, eight hours, sometimes a bit more if they're running late, if things are running late. But, yeah, the acting, fun part. Let's talk about the good and the bad about being on a porn set. When you're on set, what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most? Uh, what turns me on the most, I think it's like, uh, I guess, my genitalia. <laughs> um, I guess would be just being able to either I'm working with someone that I've already worked with before and there's already chemistry or, or maybe we establish good chemistry and so there's good banter. But a lot of the times you don't do that. You just kind of like you know, you're just meeting this person for the first time. So at least me personally, I try to be respectful and, you know, probe them a little bit so I can get to know them. But it just depends if the personalities match and whatnot, if, if it's going to be like just good chemistry from the beginning. But ideally, you already know them. Uh, so that'd be great doing that with a, uh, a partner that you have chemistry with because that helps a lot. If not, just being in a calm headspace. Because uh, the, the body doesn't function if you're not calm. So even if you're, like, hot and, like, overheating, you're like, okay, I just got to get some water. Because you don't want to, like, over, you don't want to overthink things or feel too stressed out. So being calm, especially as a male performer, I think is one of the most important things. You are what is described in the industry. You are a crossover star. You are a performer that pretty much does a little bit of everything in the industry. You've done gay scenes, you've done bi scenes, you've done trans scenes, you've done straight scenes. BDSM stuff also. You've done BDSM stuff, yes. You do a little bit of everything. And what I want to ask you about is being a crossover star in the year 2023 in the porn industry. Now, I've been doing interviews with performers for about 15 years, plus or minus. Uh, it might be a little bit more, it might be a little bit less. And in the time that I've been in the industry, if we would have been talking five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the industry was very... Um, the reaction that the industry had to crossover performers was very different. And, and, and I mean, if we're going to just be fully honest, I mean, the reaction that the industry has to crossover performers that are Caucasian versus a, a performer of color is very different as well. So here you are as a brown-skinned Latino being a crossover star. What is that experience like for you? Do you feel like some of those walls that were up before for crossover stars are breaking down a little bit? You know, I think of people like you. I think of people like, you know, Dylan Diaz. I think of other performers like Jaden Marcos and that sort of thing. Like, you guys seem to, at least from the outside, it seems like you guys are getting a lot more opportunities just to be 
yourselves and to be able to do all of the different scene types that you would like to do. But you, as the crossover performer, do you feel any pushback from the industry? Are there performers that won't work with you because you're a crossover star? Uh, does it even matter based on the amount of opportunities that you are getting? So just give me your take on being a crossover performer in the year 2023. I will say that I think what makes it easier now, and I had a quick uh, shit chat with Dante Cole about this uh, one time. It was like a quick shit chat, maybe like 30 seconds. We were chatting about it. And it's easier now because of OnlyFans and social media. Because now you can actually reach out to the performers directly, and a lot of them don't like certain things in the industry, uh, and they don't like that it's restricted because essentially it comes from above. Like everything else, I think it just comes down to the fact that the people that are making the decisions are old-fashioned. And if they decide we're not going to give studio work or this type of studio work to people that do this, then they're not going to do it even on their own time. So I think it, it began with being able to produce your own content and then people not caring whether they got studio scenes or not because they were making their own money. So they were no longer uh, being controlled, essentially, um, financially-wise, by the decisions from above. Um, so that makes it a lot easier. Um, and also there's more different types of, uh, of content now that are being made. Cause, so this the, is the, the porn content creation economy, essentially. And uh, I believe that that helps you where people essentially can just watch whatever they want. And performers that do crossover often are people that are also pretty open. So they do a lot more different scenes too. So the variety and the amount of scenes has increased. The variety in the scenes has increased. And the amount of scenes has increased. And the amount of work has increased because now there's more people that create their own content and pay for it and produce it in a way that's actually decent quality. And a lot of the times, it competes with even, like, medium-sized studios or, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot more opportunities. Um, but I do think some people still do feel as if there's an, a stigma, uh, an issue with it. But I think that comes down more to a personal choice at that point. And I think, as I was saying from the beginning, if it wasn't from above, like, I don't think that it would be the issue that it is. It's because people still want to write to stardom within studio work. And I think that's really what holds everything back. Um, if they didn't care and they were just hiring the person that did the best job, then it wouldn't matter. But it also, it's a, I think that's the main issue, but I would, I'm not sure if it's like the complete problem. I think the other side of it, which I don't know how much, how much of the, of a problem with this, that other side, is the, the fan base. Uh, like the people making the decisions, which are older, maybe more old-fashioned, think differently, or they don't see the opportunities that new, that new content genres or certain performers will bring. Um, the, the audience that buys the content also doesn't see it. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg issue, I believe. You have to kind of put it out there first to see people bite. But you're not gonna win. You're not willing to do it because you don't know if they're even, if they're even gonna make money. Because some fans do complain. Oh well, this person shot with a guy, so I don't want to see this girl shoot now. Why is she there? And it's like, why does it matter if that girl, that, that performer that you like, shot with someone that you don't even watch? 
so yeah, so it's like a chicken and egg issue, but it comes from the top. It has to do with finances. It has to do with uh, the audience that complains about it. But ultimately, human beings uh, that are negative are very loud. So I don't think the issue is as big as they think. It's just it seems like it because they're so loud about it. But um, like my friend Emma Rose, uh, who won the Trans Performer of the Year, uh, she said on stage uh, recently, I think it was in January, um, that trans porn sells. And it's taken this long for them to be able to see, oh, yeah, trans porn does sell because they're not willing to put it out. So, like I said, it's like a chicken and egg thing, ultimately. But being a self-made content creator and having access to the performers that don't care about only being exclusively now and reliant on the industry, on the mainstream industry, has helped a lot. Uh, because then other people get to see you that might not know, know you at all because you don't shoot a lot of uh, uh, mainstream scenes. But now they see you through other people retweeting you. So, you know, more exposure as well. And if they like you, then they want to shoot with you. They don't care what you do. As long as you're respectful and, and you get tested regularly and you're professional. And you're good in the bedroom, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yes. I love how you broke that down. I really am appreciative of how you answered the question. Uh, yeah, all of that was incredibly fascinating to hear. So, uh, yes. And, and clearly, I mean, you've been doing the damn thing. So, major props on Batman. Thanks. You're welcome. Let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Oral, vag, or anal? I like oral if they can do it right, but oftentimes I'm too big for their mouth and teeth. And um, also, if they have like, if they if they're good at if they're good at doing hand and uh, oral technique, hand and mouth technique together, because I think it's really easy to do it on me because I'm so big. Uh, but not everybody has the same technique. Because they don't practice. I guess they don't get to practice it that much because there's not a lot of penises like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I would say oral, just because you know, and it's wet, it's nice, it's better than doing than using lube. I would prefer. Lubing up with oral over using actual lube any day because lube is cold and you know spit is not. Uh, but as far as the anal, uh, anal, um, anal or vaginal, I would say they both have their perks. Like anal is, uh, I can go for days because you know there's no end. <laughs> but uh, the vaginal is like more self lubricating, so it's kind of like I, I, I couldn't decide between them. But I would definitely say oral is what ties it all together, if they're good at it. And, and if, they're, if my dick fits in their mouth, I guess, if possible. <laughs> yes, if your dick fits in their mouth. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll be talking about the penis in a moment. Don't worry. The listeners might, you know, I'm sure they have a question about it. So we'll be talking about it in a little bit. But before we get there, let's talk about uh, rimming when it comes to scene work and rimming. Which do you enjoy the most, being rimmed or being the rimmer? I enjoy rimming more because I haven't met, maybe it's because I have a really strong tongue, because I have a big, wide, it's really, really strong tongue. So I like rimming. I like being able to use my tongue on things. Um, but I've I, I found a few people that I enjoy rimming with, but the majority I don't, maybe because they're not, 
I don't know. I feel like they're not trying. They're they're not really trying to like get in there. If that makes sense. <laughs> like take pride in your work is what I mean. I guess. So I enjoy I enjoy rimming more. Me me doing the delivering because I I take my work seriously. <laughs> I love it. What's your favorite sexual position to perform on camera? And if it's different as a top or as a bottom, you know you can express it or explain it however you want. I like I like I like frontal frontal so I like missionary because you can get to see the person. Uh, but doggy with a mirror in front of you is great too. Is that the same in your personal life? Are those the same favorite positions in your personal life? Yes, missionary because you get to see the person face to face. I think eye contact is eye contact is important and making out is important. So um, or 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 anal. I mean, or I guess, not. I mean, I guess, <laughs> or uh, doggy. If there's a mirror, because a mirror then then satisfies the part about being able to see each other. And of course, we know how a scene ends with the cum shot, the pop shot, the money shot. In a scene, where is your favorite place to shoot your load, and where's your favorite place for the load to land on you? Um, for me, I would say just my just my chest, because I I, I kind of like that I guess it gets on my hairs <laughs> sometimes. Um, I got my chest here. Uh, but if I'm if I'm doing the coming, I would say that what I facial is great, and cream pie is great. Kids are also great. Your chest is also great. Um, on ass, not as much. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say it definitely starts with face. Definitely starts with with face. This is, you know, look kind of pretty, more or less. How would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking? My style of fucking is I'm on, as I'm, as I'm on the job. I, I lock eye contact, and I have a lot of stamina, and I don't know what to do with it. I think it has to do with that old ADHD or whatever. I just have a lot of energy. And uh, I'm essentially going, like, 80% of my max... Uh, Go between like fifty to eighty percent of like my max like throttle rhythm speed for like half an hour straight at least, and I'm just I'm essentially it, it's like it almost feels like a competition. Like I want to make you come, and it, it is what it is. Now it's time for the big question, a question that I'm sure a lot of your fans might be curious to know. You've been talking about the big boy, so how much is Rodrigo Amor packing? Uh, so actually, I finally got a correct answer recently. So my dick is tapered, right? So it's like more, it's like right under about six inches around more at the tip. But like once you get to about the middle and back, it becomes about seven around. Um, and uh, my length, like I guess once you account for the curve, it's about 10. And fun fact. My dick actually grew a little bit this past year, just like slightly. All right, and uh, you've been using him a lot, so it's all that exercise. Yes, I think it has to do with that, and also because I um, I was able to, I started TRT um, at, a, at a clinic that I go get tested at every few months, and they do my my blood work and everything, and that kind of gave me a lot more energy levels, and my libido increased even even more. So now I'm essentially trying to practice every day, almost every day, really. 
So I'm getting, I'm getting my workout. So I think you're definitely right on the money. Now let's talk about the cum shots. We mentioned it, you know, a couple of questions ago. Is there anything that you do in particular to make sure that the pop shot is good, to make sure that the pop shot pops on camera when you know you have a scene coming up? Do you do anything to prepare to make sure it's a good load? Yes. you got to make sure to eat a lot of complete protein. I personally prefer, I guess, milk, and I like boiled eggs. Oatmeal is also pretty good. And staying hydrated. Staying very hydrated is very important. Uh, so, yeah, hydration and protein intake and maybe some carbs. And and if the person's going to taste it, definitely add some fruits in there. And don't don't eat a lot of, like, acid, acid food or, like, greasy food because it all affects the, 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 the taste of the cum, which I want them to be very happy that they got, you know, uh, cum all over. So There you go. I love it. So considerate. Yes. Also be considerate, yes. Make sure yes. you taste it. So far, in the time that you have been in the industry, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Who are performers that sort of just jump into your brain as uh, experiences that you really enjoyed? Um, I guess I will... I mean, my ex, of course, because we started together, uh, obviously. Uh, her, her name is Casey Kay. She's a trans performer. We actually won Groovy, the Groovy Girl of the Year this year, so that's congratulations to her. Um, but let's see, as far as, let's, let's see, let's go through trans men, tra trans men, and then, I guess, cis girls. Um, I'll say Emma Rose and Jade Venus. Jade Venus I've worked with, Jade Venus I've worked with a few times, and um, we've known each other for, like, at least a year, at least a year and a half. One of the first people I met when I moved to Vegas, I hung out a lot with. Um, Emma Rose. I mentioned before she won she's, she's won so many awards and I can totally see why she's a great uh, uh, she's great at what she does she's a, she's a good good hard worker she's attractive and um, so yeah th those two so I guess those three Emma Rose Casey K and uh, and Jade Venus as far as men I like working with Luca Del Rey like he comes to mind immediately uh, he was very nice to work with um, I also liked to work with uh, Charlie Sherry when I worked in, uh, with Lucas Entertainment in, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And I also enjoyed working with, uh, I also like working with, I guess he's bisexual, uh, but he doesn't really bottom. Uh, I, I like working with Steve Ricks. Um, we did a scene recently, it was like a bisexual scene where we did like the stack. So I was the middle person and he was in the bottom and the girl was on top. And the stack lasted for like 10 minutes and the girl was able to essentially like turn around like multiple times without ever leaving the stack. So that was pretty cool. Um, so those three guys. And see, as far as cis girls, I would say Lena Paul. Lena Paul, who I met uh, about a year and change ago. Uh, she was very awesome, great performer. Uh, hasn't been doing a lot of work recently, I think, but she's maybe taking a break. But um, beautiful, uh, great scenes that we've done together, uh, especially for content creation. Christine Edge It's another one. And the third one would be 
uh, one that is a friend of mine. Uh, she's uh, she's an African American performer, MILF, uh, Lana Ryder, Lana the Pretzel. Very cool person. Uh, actually, lived very close to me uh, when I lived in Vegas previously. So, yeah, there you go. Nine people, three for each category. <laughs> I love how you broke that down. You did trans, you did men, and then you did cis women. Maybe you want to continue that trend because the next question that I have for you is a question about manifestation. Who have you not worked with yet that you would love to do a scene with? Who's on your wish list? Who's on your must-do list? Who would you uh, love to work with in the near future? Uh, I think I'll break it down also the same way. (laughs) I think I'll do one for each. Uh, Max Connor for guys. I would love to work with Max, but I don't know uh, what his preferences for working is because I don't know if because I'm, I'm I guess I'm mostly a top. And he I don't think I think he's mostly a top, but Max Connor for sure. I met him during uh, the KBN. He he won, so he's pretty awesome. He did great. You great can do a DP him. scene, get a bottom, and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be a lot of dick for the bottom though. <laughs> Yeah. As far as trans, I would say um, Domino Presley, because uh, we've talked about working, which is that our schedules keep kind of like, schedules here, it's always very hard to line up. Um, but Domino Presley, um, great performer, been in the industry for a long time, but I, I haven't worked with her yet. And as far as like cis girl performers, I would say Sarah Gay. Uh, she is um, another MILF back from when I used to watch porn as a, uh, as a teenager. <laughs> um, she is, um, she lives in Miami. I think she runs her own, like, business that, like, sells marijuana products and everything. Uh, so, yeah, those three, I would say. Are there any individuals in the industry that you look up to? Are there any performers in the business? Well, well, performers or even non-performers. Are there any just people in the industry that inspire you in what you're trying to do, in the mark that you're trying to make in the business? Um, I would say no individual in particular, but I would say directors that are trying to essentially push new types of content essentially doing porn differently than it's done before. They're willing to take the, the risk of putting it out there, even though they know they might not make a lot of money. So, um, yeah, the directors. The directors that are pushing the envelope, for sure. And those, I think, right now, those would be the people from adult time. People from adult time, they do transfix, they do oopsie. Um, yeah, they do, they do very good work. I am curious as a follow-up question because you talked about directors. Does that mean that Mr. Amor has aspirations for directing? Perhaps at some point, but not right. I, I would like to. I would like not maybe not to become a director, um, but I would like to essentially maybe offer my services as a way to practice in it and offer my services to help other content creators and shoot for them, obviously for a fee, just to get that out of the way. It's better when things are done under a business. And uh, I would like to do that because I, while I love essentially filmmaking and all that, I'm really, I, I don't want to be a, a, I'm back on the camera as much as I want to be in front of the camera. And ultimately I would like to uh, take like proper acting classes and uh, 
do some acting, even if it's like minor roles in, in, in media. Because one of the things that, ha that is changing with time since uh, people are accepting, I guess, what porn is and the, uh, por porn's place in social media, mm -hmm. uh, that more performers are being welcomed into like podcast platforms, interviews, uh, being like guest stars in some shows. Uh, like Jaden Marcos, I think Jaden Marcos was also in a show recently. Um, but he played, yes. uh, I think someone, someone that we're having sex with or something. Euphoria uh, you, on HBO. Oh, yeah, there we go. There we go. That one. So, yeah, I think maybe some acting. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't th I don't know about the full-on director. I might try it at some point. But right now it is in a priority. As much as it is, I want to test it out for my own pleasure and maybe make a little bit of money while I'm at it. Uh, and help other people self-produce their own content. Another thing that I wanted to follow up with you about is something that you referenced when you were talking about your wish list. You mentioned something that I'm sure the listeners might be curious to know. So far in the industry, I mean, you have done some bottoming scenes, but for the most part, you are a top in your scenes. Is that on purpose? Is that because it's your preference? Is that because the studios prefer to see you that way? Do you see yourself exploring, you know, being a bottom a little bit more or, or um, exploring versatility in the future? What's your take on the sexual role that you have in the scenes that you star in? I, yeah, I like being uh, predominantly a top because I like being in control of how the sex flow goes, um, <laughs> which is it's always fun. Um, also, because because in porn, I get to actually have sex that can somewhat handle me. I can't really do that with civilians. Um, so I get to actually use my dick <laughs> and properly enjoy it a lot of the time. Um, and that's something you, I can't do outside of porn, but the civilians are just not, civilians are not, are not built, they're not built the same. They don't have the same skills or haven't acquired them. Uh, but as far as bottoming, I would say that I like bottoming, but for me, bottoming is not engaging. Um, so what I do like to do, and I've been doing uh, a few of those, especially at work with kink.com. And uh, when I do kink, I, I don't mind bottoming there because there's also other elements in the bottoming involved, like being tied up or like being whipped or something, ball gag, being blindfolded. So it's like there's more happening than just bottoming. Like bottoming by itself isn't super engaging for me as far as something I would pick if, if I had the choice to do it or not do it. That makes, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, I completely understand. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some of the serious issues in the industry. And the first question in this set is, are there any misconceptions or myths about porn stars that you would like to dispel? Well, the main myth is that people in porn got STDs. I mean, everyone gets STDs at some point. Most people usually don't find out because they uh, try to avoid getting tested. So it's like, I don't have it because I don't look for it. Uh, but most people in porn are very safe, the vast majority of them. And with the amount of sex that we have, our numbers are extremely low. <laughs> so uh, that's the first thing, especially since now a lot of people in, in an industry and not just on uh, the gay side of the industry or 
for LGBT side, LGBTQ side, is uh, starting to use preps, for example. So they're also starting to take preps, preps which uh, reduces the chances of getting an HIV infection by like over 99% essentially. Um, so that's one of the things that for sure people have a misconception about um, the STD stuff. It's way less than the average pop than the general population, but just based on the volume of sex we're having. Um, I would say another thing is that I think people in porn uh, are maybe narcissistic or something because we 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 project an image out there, but a lot of most people in porn are very chill, like the vast majority, because you can't be someone that is hard to deal with and doesn't get along with others and excel in this industry because it's so social. There are like bad apples, but it's not the majority. Otherwise the industry would collapse. Um, so I think those are the two main things. And also that people in porn, while, while we do love sex, we don't want to have sex all the time. So it's kind of weird being approached always sexually. Because if you think about it, we, while we do love sex, we're getting all we need. So we don't seek out sex like that from outside of the industry. Um, which actually I think is something that maybe girls, uh, cis girls probably have to deal with the most because they're the biggest audience. So they're constantly getting bombarded by sexual requests because people think they're horny. But it's like they're getting all the sex they need. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. I would say those three things. Is there an aspect of the industry that you do not enjoy? I don't enjoy the social aspect because of the, because of another reason. So I, I like it because of that reason I mentioned, but I dislike it because, or I guess, I say like actually kind of hate. Hate is a strong word for us. Uh, but like all industries where it's social and there's entertainment and essentially sometimes like use, uh, um, substance abuse because people are just partying, you know, being crazy adults sometimes. Um, it does become a little bit where success sometimes is not defined by the work you do, but the people that you hang around with. And it, 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 you, you get that a lot where some people have done more work. And for example, they will do like an, uh, an award and they will mention a category and they'll give it to somebody that's popular or that has a lot of like, um, I guess, connections in the industry or is very well known over a person that actually did way more work and has actually been working a lot that year in that particular category. So it's a popularity contest, social contest, more than it is about your actual work. So it does feel very disheartening sometimes um, when people essentially get something that being the social, the social part is actually part of the job because, I mean, it is a social industry. But in the end, ultimately, you would like that not to be the case. So, yeah. As a performer of color in the adult industry, have you ever experienced any racism, colorism, discrimination, or microaggressions? Ironically enough, no. But what I have experienced is essentially fetishization. Uh, but it comes in, in two ways. It comes in the way of being fetishized for being essentially black, you know, BBC. But then on the other side, you're also anti-fetishized for, for doing it, for, for partaking in it. Uh, essentially, like as, a, as a person of color, essentially there's kind of like a, an opinion war as to whether people of color, especially men, for example, should use BBC as a, as a name or as a tag. 
or even websites like Blacked, for example, which is a very popular uh, interracial porn uh, website. Because essentially people, these people don't like that it's being fetishized, but at the same time, those are the terms that the audience is seeking for. So if those terms are not used, the content cannot be found. So by not using them and choosing not to use them and taking that stance, because for if, if you believe that, 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 that those terms are derogatory or fetish, fetishizing black men, for example, or you know, the skin color, then you're at the same time taking the opportunities away from that group because then they can't be found. Because if a guy puts big dick and I put big dick and he's white and I'm black and I don't put BBC, I don't have the same advantages. I don't have the same, I can't compete on the same field as being uh, found. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So how do you personally feel about those terms? Clearly the way that you're breaking it down, you feel as if those terms are almost like, uh, you know, hashtags that performers need to use to find, you know, a particular audience that's looking for, you know, a, a particular type of performer. So I, I, I get from what you're saying, you understand the business side of it. How do you feel just in general about that terminology that's used? I don't mind using it uh, here and there as long as when it's used, it's used within the context of, like, this is just a thing. It's not the focus of the, like, for example, I did uh, a video that I initially, but then I changed the title. I took away BBC from the title, but I left it in the description tags, of course, because I'm not going to take it away from the description or tags because then I can't be found at all within the, with those terms. And then, like I said, that, that, that doesn't work. That just essentially gives you a disadvantage. Uh, but sometimes I'll change it, and I've been starting to just take it off more or, or change it from my title because it's not really relevant, and a picture's worth a thousand words, and if they see the thumbnail or they see the like a preview video, they're going to get the gist. They don't need to see it in the title. Um, so that's kind of like how I feel about it. I've, I've been kind of using it to that extent now, where it's essentially just tags and description. But the way that I feel about it, ultimately, I think it's, it's, it's a personal choice, and as long as they're essentially it's not how it used to be before where it's being used as a way to fetishize the scene. Like the scene is just about the fact that you're black, for example. Oh, you're so black. Oh, your big black dick is so big. Oh, it's so black. Oh, I've now had sex with a dick that's black that's so big. Um, so essentially once it starts becoming like, oh, what the scene is about is the fact that it's black, then it becomes a problem. Um, but people still take that kind of work. Because, I mean, it's also why a lot of people that want, the people that want to buy that kind of content want to see. So it becomes like a chicken and egg thing again. And it becomes one of those things where essentially it's like politics. You just got to kind of wait for these people to have these particular interests, to seek these particular terms, either stop being interested in, in porn or kind of like fade out, essentially. Let's talk about romance and the industry. Dating while working in the industry. As someone who, I mean, let's just be honest, you're on a hot streak. You are in demand. Is it difficult to date while you are in the industry? Um, not for me, because I think it's never helped me back at all. I've always been able to, like, get dates and whatnot, regardless of what I've been doing, just because, I guess, I'm so open that when I put a profile anywhere on Tinder, Grindr, 
Hinge, Bumble, and, and, and any place. Uh, essentially, I just say, hey, this is who I am, this is what I want, and this is what I do. <laughs> and I put good pictures that people are, people are either going to like it or they're, they're not going to like it. Like I, Essentially, I'm out in the open, so I don't have an issue with it. The people that like me are the ones that message me. And because I'm open about it, I have enough of those. Um, but also because Danus does have made me more popular in a sense, um, it has made it a bit harder because there is jealousy, and I feel that there's also a competitive, competitive spirit. It's like when you meet some people and they know you're, they're, they're not the only one you're talking to. And I dated someone briefly last year that felt that way. It felt as if, like, because I was working with so many people that I was interested in some of them or kind of secretly dating some of them, and I wasn't. Just because I had the possibility of doing so, and I'm already having sex with them. Um, so it's it just money thing a little bit because, you know, having sex with people already makes it uh, a bit personal and not everybody can handle that. And I think the hardest part is if I found anyone that actually understood that, being sure that it remained that way and never got into their feelings about it, that they understood it was a job that I enjoy, of course, but it's still just a job. So, yeah. I like that answer. Yeah. I appreciate the honesty and the candor. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so something that I want to get your opinion on is competition in the industry. Because, you know, I said this before, and, uh, you know, some of the listeners might say, oh, you were just saying it because you're doing an interview with him. But it's the truth. Like, you get a lot of work in the industry. Your star is skyrocketing. You are being embraced by all different sides of the business, which is incredible to see. So, and, and we discussed that a bit when we talked about crossover and being a crossover star. So I want to get your take on competition. What's your take on it? Do you feel like there is competition amongst performers in the industry? Do you feel like some performers are competing with you? Maybe you're not competing with them, but do you feel like some people maybe feel a certain way because you are getting an immense amount of work and attention? Yes. I know some. I know some people are secretly competing with me, or they don't. Uh, they don't really like the fact that I'm doing well because I am crossover, and also because um, it's one. Some people because I'm crossover. Other people because I've only been in the industry for so long, so I just come out of nowhere and I'm doing so well, and they've been in it for longer. Um, and other people just because they see that I don't take it that seriously. I take everything in my life kind of, uh, kind of as it comes to me, um, including including work. I, like I said, the, I said at the beginning, essentially I have a plan. And I, when I did YouTube before, and then I decided to do porn, I was like, hey, I'm gonna create, I'm gonna take everything that I already know, kind of create a business plan in my head around how I'm going to succeed at this because I don't like doing anything where I'm gonna waste my time. But the moment usually that I'm that I'm set on doing something. It's already almost like a done deal because I already skip ahead to when I have it in my head. And I've already kind of decided all the steps that I'm going to take. And almost everything always goes the, same, the way I expect it to because I, I'm pretty prepared every time I do something. Um, so it, it also makes me seem, I think, sometimes to people where I don't really take it that seriously and it might seem offensive. But that's because I'm like, well, if I'm going to do the work and I know I feel prepared, and I'm here and I'm doing it, then I'm going to achieve it. So it's already a done deal. So I don't really express it as a, as a big accomplishment. And maybe that rubs some, some people the wrong way. 
We'll shake the haters off. I will say I love how analytical you are about the business. I love how uh, much preparation you've gone into, you know, trying to make everything happen the way you want it to happen. It's almost like you have a checklist of everything that you want done. Checklist, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good way of putting it. I have a checklist, and I kind of go through it, and that's it. Let's shift away from the serious stuff, and let's talk about your original content. Let's talk about your OnlyFans. You have two OnlyFans, and they basically satisfy any and everything that your fans might be curious to see you do. So can you break down for the listeners what they can expect to see on not just one, on both of your OnlyFans? So my OnlyFans, uh, let's see, so my straight trans OnlyFans, I essentially use it uh, to put on my cis girl content and my trans girl content. Um, I've been mainly using my gay OnlyFans, essentially to put a lot of solos there, because I actually do more, um, I do more off, I guess, off the books <laughs> gay stuff than, uh, than I put on there, because I've been, so for, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to explain this. For the same issue about the whole uh, being a crossover performer and being able to get different kinds of scenes, I've essentially decided that uh, essentially my gay content was going to be the last one that I was going to update a lot. And I think I maybe alluded to this in a video recently in a live. Uh, so essentially I started with doing like uh, trans content and, and cis girl content. And right now I'm, a, I'm on a backlog of at least a few months in each. And as soon as I'm back on prep, which actually is a good import, important thing to be on, I try to be on it all the time, but my prescription right now, um, I will get back to doing more gay content, essentially with a lot more focus on it, and hopefully be able to put out at least three or four new scenes every week. But for now, that OnlyFans has, like, my old stuff on there, some new ones, a lot of solos. I do a lot of solos where I bought them. Uh, essentially, I'm using, like, my dildos or some kind of flashlight toy. But that's, that's what that OnlyFans is for. It also has a lot of my solo stuff, like my solo photos. But, yeah, essentially one is used for the girls and trans, trans girls, and then the other one is used for all my solo stuff, the pictures, my gay, gay uh, amateur content. Um, and, yeah, hopefully I'll be updating them both a lot very soon. Um, yeah, that's what you can expect. <laughs> How often do you update? Speaking of updates. Um, so the way that I like to update, which a lot of people don't seem to like the way that I update is I like to update just once a week if possible because I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I prefer not nickel and diming people. I prefer just giving you something. So I'll just put out my video on there and I'll, I'll send it out um, at least a, a couple months in advance usually or maybe at least a month or something where people can buy it, but I, then I'll put it on the actual wall uh, that time after, like a month or two months after, and then people can just view it. And I try to do that once a week. Uh, recently, I did like a big update, so I took down a lot of stuff that I had, and I spent essentially like a month not putting anything because I needed to be, the whole month to be over for the subscription. But, uh, yes, once a week, preferably all posts. Like if, I, if it's 10, 10 pictures, all the 10 pictures will be posted in one post. It won't be like one every, every day or something over 10 days, because um, that, that allows me to essentially still manage my own things, 
instead of essentially having to use that as another social media where I'm constantly having to update it and dedicate time to it. But yeah, once a week. Once a week is, is what I once a week with just all all the posts all in one post. And maybe stories. Is there any type of content that you currently are not featuring on your OnlyFans that you plan on adding in the future? Is there anything that you aren't doing right now that you would love to incorporate into your original content? I would like to do content uh, that is more BDSM-based, and I would like to do more content that is essentially just me being nude around the house or doing things around the house naked, kind of like a voyeur type of thing, which a lot of people already do that, uh, but I want to make it uh, like a whole live experience where essentially I set it there and, and, and I'm just live. Um, a lot of people use OnlyFans that way, the ones that don't want to actually have sex on OnlyFans, but essentially they use it as a place to put themselves as nude. Uh, I would like to do more of that because I think certain people do like the the real aspect of just seeing the actual person just exist normally and they just happen to be naked. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only type of content that I'm really thinking about putting on there because everything else I think I'm already going to be doing mostly through – um, doing studio work. I get a lot of variety. Are there any plans for launching an official website at some point? I will do an official website if I can establish a brand. Um, I I do want to do more of the, what I mentioned before with the whole uh, essentially being like a content, helping other content creators shoot their content by charging them to essentially shoot their content so I can get more practice that way. But I mainly want to use that as a way to practice my filmmaking skills so I can go back and do more YouTube in the near future. Okay. And essentially from there, I would like to launch a maybe like a store with a brand and attach that to the website and maybe have a website essentially like a, has a, a safe for work section and a not safe for work section where all my not safe for work stuff is at. All right. I like the sound of all of that. I like how you're saying, if I develop a brand, I feel like you are developing a brand. Like, everything that you've been doing is developing a brand. So don't uh, cut yourself too short. That's, that's, that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to be a brand. So, mm-hmm. And it, it's yeah. it's happening. I'm just saying. Yes. I'm glad you think so. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay, speaking of branding, let's talk about what could potentially happen in the future? Because I don't feel like there is something like this out there already. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, because you are, as you would say, huge in the genitalia, has the idea of having your own sex toy line at all popped into your mind? Your own dildos, vibrators, etc., etc.? Yes, I hope to do that this year, hopefully by the end of the year. All right. I like that goal, and that's wonderful for the listeners because that means that they can, number one, take Rodrigo Amor home and uh, have their way with you, whatever they want, basically. Whatever <laughs> that means, right? <laughs> exactly. However they want to use a sex toy, you know, however they want to use it on themselves or their partner. But, uh, yes, uh, Rodrigo Amor will be a part of their their nightly routine, maybe. Yeah, that'd be, that'd, I would be in everybody's homes. Exactly. Yes. I love the sound of that. 
Fantastic. Now, let's also talk about your work with BDSM. As you mentioned a couple times in the interview, you worked for Kink.com, which is a major, major studio in regards to the BDSM arena. You also referenced the fact that you want to add some more BDSM content of your own on your OnlyFans. Was BDSM something that interested you before you worked with Kink, or was it a result of working with Kink? I know that you mentioned earlier in the interview that, you know, you love sort of like the concept of exploration and kind of living without limits. You don't like barriers set around you. So is this a way to explore your sexuality even more through BDSM? Yes, it is a way to explore my sexuality uh, even more. Um, but I was involved with kink even before this uh, because um, I used to go to essentially sex parties, like kink, mostly around kink, and there was a group that I, I was part of a, group, uh, a friend group, maybe about 30 of us, and 15 to 20 of us would go every Tuesday to meet at a comma place in, uh, in Tampa, Florida, where I, where I lived in my 20s for the most part. And uh, we would essentially talk about kink, talk about the things we'd done that week or whatever. And then once a month, we would go to like essentially like a house kink sex party where we would sign waivers and like maybe like 30 to 40 people would show up. And sometimes we would have sex. Sometimes we would just swim in the pool naked. Sometimes we'd be in the hot tub. Sometimes we watch people have sex. Some people got tied up. Some people got waxed, waxed on them. Um, so there was all kinds of things going on. Um, I once saw a friend of mine who was a doctor, and also she used to do opera when she was younger. And one of the guys that owned it was like two two guys that essentially they were roommates, and one of them owned the house, but they were roommates. And um, he was a he was like a pianist, and I think one of the times. Um, they essentially did like a whole event where she sang opera while he played the piano while she was sitting on like this huge ass vibrator. So yeah, so all that stuff has been kind of like a part of my life for the last few years. Rodrigo has lived quite an interesting life. I love it. I have, yeah. I don't, I don't really think about it, but I think about it when I talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Okay, so tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know. Something unique about Rodrigo Amor. Um, something unique about me is that my number one goal in life, assuming I don't die tragically, is to live at least 100 years old. Healthy. Like, very healthy. My goal is to get to 100 very healthy. That is certainly a unique goal. Yes. My entire life is built around that goal. So that's why everything that I do is essentially I try to, I like, I spend like six six months to a year researching health supplements. That's why I'm very big into fitness, uh, minimalism, always learning about new things coming up in the future, um, uh, having low stress in my life, having a good sexual, sexual life. Because um, everything that reduces your stress and makes you happier, it keeps you active and keeps you fit. Let, let you live longer. So, essentially, my entire life, and then having good finances also. You know, when you stress, when you don't have money, you stress out, and then that makes you go. That makes you get get old, and lowers your immune system and all those things. So, everything in my life is kind of geared towards that goal, to make it to, to make it achievable. Describe yourself in ten words or less. 
Uh, lone wolf, ENTJ, minimalist, sexual deviant, ambitious, easygoing, lover. I guess to say lover. I love very deeply, but I don't talk about it. I just keep it in my head. I would say those, those things describe me pretty well. As we start wrapping things up, as we start wrapping things up with this interview, I do have a list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. The first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Does Netflix count? Netflix or... is television, yes. Okay. <laughs> Netflix, uh, okay, okay. Uh, so for Netflix, I would say The Midnight Gospel. Um, for Netflix, I would say The Midnight Gospel. For Amazon Prime, I would say The Voice. For HBO, I would say the TV series, the, the, the series that which got canceled, uh, Raised by Wolves. Um, also another one for Netflix, which I believe is only on Netflix, as Bojack Horseman, which is a cartoon. Very dark, but I love it. It's based in Hollywood. Hollywood. Um, and number five, as far as shows, I would say Spartacus. Uh, the, the show that came out a few years ago, where um, maybe ten, over 10 years ago, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say those five. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Specific music artist, um, hmm, Celia Cruz. She was a Cuban singer who died many years ago. Mm-hmm. Icon. Yeah, icon. Um, I'd listen to a lot of, uh, like, EDM trance and stuff. I would, so I would say Tiesto because Tiesto was who I started with originally. Um, I also like heavy metal, so I would say... Disturbed, which Disturbed, I guess, is a, is a form of heavy metal, which is a band. And number four, I would say Mozart. What are three of your most favorite films? Inception. It's probably going to sound like a Michael Nolan. Um, not, not a Michael Nolan. <laughs> Michael, Michael Bay, Michael Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan, there we go. So Inception. Mm, Shutter Island. I want Leonardo DiCaprio as well. And The Great Gatsby, also Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, my God, I like Leonardo DiCaprio's movies. There you go. Yeah, all three of us. What are two foods you can't live without? Hmm. Pizza and... Hmm, what would be the set? Pizza and, if you can even consider it a food, sugar. <laughs> there we go. Pizza and sugar. It's not even a, it's not a food. It's just it's like an ingredient. I have like a huge sweet tooth that I have, I'm constantly trying to fight against. I know you got to keep the abs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, you need to live to be a hundred. Yes, sugar is not good for living to a hundred. Definitely not. Yeah. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? One of my guilty pleasures is anything that gives me an adrenaline rush. 
so sometime this year, I'll finally do skydiving. Oh, skydiving great. be really fun. I've done bungee jumping before. Um, so, yeah, anything with an ad- it gives me an adrenaline rush, which is why I like kink um, BDSM when it comes to bottoming. Adrenaline rush. What are you currently binging? Are you currently binge-watching anything? I just binge-watched... Um, it is an anime, so it's not uh, it's not like a TV show, I guess. Um, it's an anime, and it's called To Your Eternity. And this one, I just finished, finished watching the second season. Third season is not out yet. And it's about an orb that falls to Earth. And it, essentially, it can mimic anything that it experiences. And it first becomes a rock. And then a wolf bites next to it. And then it becomes the wolf. And then it starts to hang around with a human. And you can kind of see the progression of it. And it grows to become a human. And it starts be, uh, gaining humanity, sentience. And it's immortal. So he lives forever. Very interesting. I might have to Google that one. Yeah, to your eternity. What's next for Rodrigo Amor? What can the listeners and your fans expect from you in the near future? In the near future, hopefully YouTube. I would like to really get back to my social media YouTube roots and do it uh, with a bit of a, of, a, of a new edge because I've been doing a lot of things that people that saw me grow up or watched me do YouTube and whatnot uh, probably would not have expected that I was gonna, uh, that I would do. Uh, and some of my old followers have found my porn and they've messaged me like, wow, this is what you're doing now. That's funny. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I, I I'll do that. Because I, I like social media. I like, I like to talk to people a lot. I like to share my ideas. I have a lot of ideas. Um, so... Yeah, hopefully that's what it will be. I, I want to just create essentially kind of like a a bit of a social network where people can kind of talk and just talk about things level in a level-headed, playful manner. Maybe I'll do a podcast. Like not maybe not a podcast, but maybe I'll do podcast light, and I'll, I'll hopefully appear in more podcasts in the future because I would it, it gives you the opportunity to talk to more people and to uh, discuss various topics. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media? This is your chance to give them all of your links. If you want the easiest access, you go to RodrigoAmor.com. That will redirect you to my link tree, essentially. And there you will be able to see my Twitter, which is my main not safe for work platform, and my Instagram, which is my main safe for work platform. And uh, on my Instagram, I essentially, as I start adding all my other social media uh, into the fold and really updating it, I will be listing it there. And uh, my at, uh, at pretty much every platform is at the Rodrigo Amor. So that's T-H-E, Rodrigo Amor. And it's the same for Twitter, for Instagram, for TikTok. And it's going to be the same for YouTube once I start uploading on it. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Uh, I would like to say thank you for joining in and listening to me ramble. Sometimes I go on a tangent. Um, Hopefully this gets you to know me a bit better. And uh, continue to support me. I always appreciate it, Uh, especially because I did YouTube in the past. I understand that essentially this is not about me. It's about the people that support me. So that's what matters in the end.
And uh, even though I'm swamped with a lot of messages, which is kind of crazy, I've actually never I haven't had this issue since I did YouTube before. But now it's even more uh, with the, the volume of people trying to talk to me. And it's, I'm essentially a one-man army. So even though I don't reply to messages like that or I can't reply that quickly, I'm still seeing them. So, you know, keep leaving the support. And I'll be doing more lives maybe on my Instagram to talk to you guys. So follow me there so you can tune in whenever I do that. and We can chit-chat. I randomly answer questions all the time. Fantastic. Well, I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview, Rodrigo. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This has been a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got the chance to do it. And I want to give you an open invitation. Whenever you want to come back to update the listeners on what you've been up to, what you're getting into, all that kind of stuff, you have an open invitation to come back and we can do a brand new interview. Sounds great. I'll definitely be back. Fantastic. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, visit poppychuloradio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer, and with that... Rodrigo Amor, and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>